this morning. I think this is really important, and my prayer has been and continues to be, and even as we were praying this morning, is that, is that your eyes would be open to the idea that when you approach God, He's your heavenly Father. And I know that that's, that can be difficult, because sometimes when we think about a heavenly Father, we immediately think about our earthly fathers, and we go, well... I'm not sure I can really understand God. I'm hoping that by the end of this, I will paint a picture for you of what your heavenly father looks like and what you can expect when you come to him as a father. And so if you have your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be looking at something very familiar, I think, to, I imagine, all of you. And so it says this. So Jesus' disciples in Luke are asking him, how should we pray? Now, here in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching on prayer, and he says in verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I'm going to go ahead and tack on the thing that might be there and it might not be there, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, if you weren't here last week, uh, we're beginning our year with an emphasis on prayer. Uh, when I talked to the elders, kind of the beginning of the year, I said, hey, what, what do you guys think we should be teaching on this year? Uh, the two things that came, that came were prayer and Jesus. I was like, well, that's kind of Sunday school answers. But, but if you really think about it, um, what else is there, right? What else is there but Jesus? And so this year we're going to begin looking at prayer, and then we're going to begin our time for most of the rest of the year, well, all the rest of the year, in Luke's gospel. And so we're going to be looking at the Lord Jesus Christ, the things that he said, some of the parables that he told. Um, but today, and for the next several weeks, we're going to put an emphasis on prayer. Now, last week, um, we looked at the idea of corporate prayer. And in, and in Acts chapter 6, we saw that the, the early apostles put an emphasis on two ministries that they felt and that we talked about would be equally important, and that was the, the ministry of prayer and the ministry of the Word of God. Both go hand in hand. You really can't have one without the other, right? Because prayer is important because it's how we speak to God, and the study of God's Word is a way that He speaks to us. It informs our prayer. How else are we going to be able to say, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven if we don't know the will of the Lord. And God has given it in his word. And so as a church, there are two things that are very important to us. And again, I point to the wall to our values. Being biblically measured. We want to preach and teach the word of God. Verse by verse, book by book. We don't want to miss anything that Jesus has said to us. Anything that the Holy Spirit wants to say to us, we want to get the whole counsel of the Word of God. That's one emphasis, one pillar of the church, if you will, being biblically measured and not only just reading God's Word, but allowing it to inform 
and measure our lives. Equally important, and something that we're trying to continue to emphasize and bring to equal importance as a church, is this idea of being prayer-focused. Prayer is important. Um, The Scripture says, and it teaches us to pray without ceasing, right? Pray at all times, with all prayer, with all supplication, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Make your requests known to God. We studied that when we studied Philippians chapter 4. George Mueller was asked how much time he spent in prayer. You know, everybody know George Mueller? He's the one that ran an orphanage. He's the one that, that funded his whole ministry on faith. Never asked for a dime. And God provided over and over for him. George Mueller was a man of prayer. He was the man who, he, give us today our daily bread. Today. Or milk. Yeah. Here's what he said. I live in the spirit of prayer. I pray as I walk, when I lie down, and when I rise. The answers are always coming, he says. Prayer was a way of life for George Mueller, and prayer should be a way of life for us as well as believers in Jesus Christ. With that said, prayer can be challenging, right? Can it? I mean, can prayer just be challenging? Right? How do I approach how do I approach someone that I can't see? Right? And what do you say? Like, what do you say to the God of the universe? What do you say to the God of heaven? How should I how should I address God? Honestly, sometimes in prayer we can just fumble around kind of awkwardly. I'm not really sure what to pray. And and certainly don't ask me to pray out loud with other people, right? You ever feel like that? Like, I'm not, what if I say something wrong? What if I don't do it right? Guess what? <laughs> You're not alone. You are not alone. In fact, Jesus' disciples, right? They're with Jesus. Jesus' disciples are asking him to teach them how to pray. And so guess what? Here's the encouraging part. Prayer is something that you can learn to do, right? If the disciples would ask Jesus, hey, teach us how to do this, well, then you can learn to pray. And just, and just like the disciples, guess who we can learn from? Jesus. And he's given it to us right here in his word. And so as we open this morning, I want you to I want you to realize that this prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know what? That may be a good place for you to start. If you don't have the words to pray, that's where you could start. Now, the Lord's prayer isn't so much prayer to be prayed as a model that should be followed, right? This then is how you should pray, is what Jesus says there in in verse 9. He says, this then is how you should pray. In other words, the NASB says it this way, "Pray pray then in this way. In other words, maybe along these lines, pray. 
He's not telling them, hey, pray these exact words. This is the formula. Pray this. Someone asked me, um, so why don't we recite the Lord's Prayer every week? How many of you grew up in that tradition where you recited the Lord's Prayer every week? Okay, some of you. I didn't grow up in that tradition. Um, I don't know that there's an emphasis to not pray the Lord's Prayer every week. Um, sometimes in my, in my, when I see people pray the Lord's Prayer, it seems like it becomes familiar, and maybe we lose sight of the meaning of prayer. Did that ever happen in your tradition? Did you ever just kind of stand up and just start saying these words, and all of a sudden everybody's saying them together, and it's almost like you're in a trance, like, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. I will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, trespasses, sins, whatever the word might be as though as we forgive those who sin against us, right? And so everybody's fumbling like, do I say debts, sins? What do I say? Um, it can become familiar and we can lose sight of the meaning. Let me play the, the flip side of that. On the flip side... By not doing it, we can lose the pattern. We can lose the purpose of our prayer. Oftentimes, if we don't keep the Lord's prayer, the Lord's agenda in mind, we can reduce God to be something that, some, somebody that we go to to just meet my needs, thus making ourselves the focus of prayer. Jesus is teaching his disciples to follow this pattern, this model. So why? What is the purpose and focus of prayer? I would argue, and we'll talk about it in the next couple of weeks, the focus of prayer is on the glory of God. You see, prayer isn't trying to get God to agree with me. God, here's my agenda. Now you... Accomplish this, right? Prayer isn't trying to get God to line up with what, what my needs are. No. Prayer, the, what, the, what he's teaching here, prayer is aligning my will with God's will, right? God, I want your will to be done, your kingdom to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us, forgive us, lead us. The entire focus of this prayer is God and his will. And we don't have time to read all the prayers in the Old Testament and New Testament, but what you'll find when you read these prayers, the focus is on God. The focus is on the glory of God. Oftentimes when you read these prayers, it's like, Lord, magnify your name through this request, right? May your name be great, May your will be accomplished and may your name be known in all the earth because of the way that you move, God. You ever pray that way? You ever say that to God? You ever just have that, you ever just have that in your gut like, God, you have to do this, right? You have to do this. You've got to move in this person's life. For your own sake, for your own glory, God, move. You ever do that? You ever just get that adamant with God, that passionate with God? You can. 
it's okay. It's a perfectly good motive to want the glory of God and the motive of God and for God to be magnified. It's a perfectly good motive. It's a reason to plead with God over and over and over and over again. It's a reason to relentlessly pray for people that they would come into relationship with Jesus. I was so, in, I, had, I had one name on my prayer list for years and years and years. If you look through my journal, you'd see this person's name over and over for the last a while, a long time, years. Man, this week, I saw God do something in this person's life and it was so encouraging to me. God, you did hear me? Finally? I've been waiting for this day for a long time. Man, I was just like, woo, praise God. Bring glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Don't stop asking. Don't stop praying. Don't lose hope. Don't lose sight of what God can do. God wants to accomplish his will and his kingdom, his purposes. And so how do we address him? How do we address God when you begin praying? He says our Father in heaven, and that's where we're going to look this morning. We approach God as a father. Prayer begins by recognizing God as Father. Do you realize, and maybe you know this, and maybe you've thought about it a little bit, when you call God Father, there are so many ramifications behind that. Do you think of God as a Father? Do you? It allows us to get a picture of what God's like. To imply that God is a Father means that He has children, right? And many of you are thinking, yes, of course, we're all, we're all his children. Here's a question for you. Are we? Are we all children of God? We're not. Now, Malachi 2.10, in some ways we are. It says, have we not all one father? Did not God create us? In the broad idea of God creating us, yes. But in our relationship to him, no. You see, in order, to be, in order to address God as our father, you must go through the process of adoption, right? To address God as father is something that is reserved for his children. And therefore, prayer begins with becoming a child of God. Why do I believe that? Why do I think that? In John chapter 8, the Jews are arguing with Jesus about the need to be set from, free from sin. Je Jesus is looking at the Jews and, he's, and these Pharisees and he's saying, hey, you guys need to be set free from your sins. The Jews argue back and say, we've never been in, we've never been in slavery. We've never, never been slaves. We have Abraham as our father. God doesn't have any grandchildren. You realize that? 
God has no grandchildren. God doesn't have any stepchildren. God has sons and daughters. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd do the things that Abraham did. What did Abraham do? It says in the New Testament, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Namely, trusting and believing in the Messiah. The implication is that these Pharisees, they're not really Abraham's children. He says, you're doing the things that your father does. To which they responded, what did they say? Well, the only father we have is God himself. Jesus responded, if, you were your, <laughs> if God were your father, you'd love me. And to end the argument, <laughs> Jesus makes this statement. You know whose father you are? Your father is the devil. Whoa. Think about that for a second. Think about the implications of that statement. You are of your father, the devil. It implies that God has, that God has, that there are two families, right? They're the children of God and there are the children of the devil. Where are you? Right? It begs the question, how do we become a child of God? I want to call God Father. John 1.12 makes it clear, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And so for those of you that have put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, you get to enjoy something that is exclusively made for his children, his sons and daughters. You have the privilege of calling the God of the universe Father. Have you repented of your sins? Have you received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you have, then God is your Father. And if not, you have another Father. It's the gospel truth. Now, that doesn't mean that God stops loving. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you, that God doesn't want you to come to repentance in Him and faith in Him. God is pleading with you this morning. If you're here and you don't know God is your Father, come to me. My desire is to adopt you as, your, as a son, as a daughter. When Jesus began using this word Father, um, it would have brought up so many thoughts when we look at the Old Testament and we see this view of God as Father, um, this teaching of God as Father would have been radical, even for the Jews. You see, the Jews were familiar with God as Father in a broad sense, right? When you read the Old Testament, you see the word Father over and over. As I was reading this week, John MacArthur helped me. He, he made these five observations from the Old Testament about how the Jews would have seen God as Father. You see, they would have seen the begetting of God as an act of the Father, right? In other words, God birthed 
this, this family, this nation. And so, in a sense, in First Chronicles, they, they would have called him the God of Israel, our Father, right? It's a title for God, God the God of Israel. Um, he's the one who has born and given us this nation and, and made us a people. In the concept of Father, the Jews saw the nearness of God because in this idea of Father, is this idea of a family relationship. It's unlike any other relationship. It's not like a relationship that you would have with your uncle, a relationship you'd have with your cousin, a relationship you'd have with your friend or your neighbor. No, you're a son and daughter. You're in this this family of God. They would have understood this. They would have understood and seen the concept of God, the Father, in the way that they saw his loving grace. One of my favorite scriptures is Psalm 103. It says this, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. See, they knew something of the love of God. They knew something of the love of the Father. The Jews would have, in the Old Testament would have seen the fatherhood of God in terms of his guidance. In Jeremiah 31, 9, it says that they will come with weeping. They will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them beside streams of water on a level path where they will not stumble because I am Israel's father. And so the father was constantly giving them guidance, bringing them back. But all of that idea didn't make God maybe intimate or sentimental or close to the heart because the fifth thing that they saw was that because God was their father, they were required to obey him. And that's true. That was their part. God would do the begetting. God would be the one that would be near. God would be gracious. God would guide them. Their response was to be obedient to him as a son or a daughter obeys their father. Hopefully. (laughs) We'll get to that here in a second. Um, But as time goes on, and we get into the 400 years of silence between the Old and the New Testament, this idea of God as Father begins to go away. The prophets are silent. Um, Nation of Israel begins to lose this concept of God as Father They'd moved away from this idea of a relationship where they're talking, there's a back and forth to God, to this idea of religion. And so when Jesus comes and he makes this statement, our Father in heaven, this would have been a radical thing for them. What? He took this term, our Father, and shocked them. And Jesus uses it over and over and over again in his teaching. When you read the Greek here, our father, it's the idea of pater, right? Paternity. I was disappointed when I read that this week, to be honest. Because I went into the scripture with the assumption that when Jesus spoke this word father, he was using a much more intimate term. My assumption going into this is that he was using the word Abba, using the word Daddy. And guess what? 
He probably was. Praise God. Because when they translated into the Greek, the Greek word for father is pater. But when you start studying the Aramaic, you go back into the Old Testament, guess what word is used for father? A, B. Isn't that interesting? That's fascinating. Jesus is going all the way back to this, this father heart of God, using something that they actually would have understood. It would have awakened something in them that they hadn't known in a long time, God being a father. But, but Jesus didn't just keep it there. Jesus magnified it. This isn't something we would ever actually call God Father. Now you're telling us to call God Father? You want us to describe Him in this intimate father-son, father-daughter relationship? Yep. That's what I'm doing here. (laughs) Think about it for a second. (laughs) What's one of the first words out of a child's mouth? Mama. (laughs) What's the next one? Oh, is it usually daddy? Oh, okay, good. Well, the illustration still holds up. I tell you what, so I'm a, I'm a grandparent now, right, a little Harry, and I tell you what, he's not here this morning, I was kind of disappointed, but I am disappointed because when he walks in here, the first thing that he says is, Papa, right? Where's Papa? Do you know how good that makes you feel? Do you? You do, don't you? Man, it feels good. It feels good. when my Because it's been a while since I've heard my children do that, so I had to use a grandchildren. I said God has no grandchildren, so the illustration breaks down somewhere. You get the idea, though, don't you? Dada. Jesus is saying that we can call God the Father, Dad, Daddy. Imagine when you approach God in that way. Imagine the delight that is in God's heart, a delight that is in him. He's like, you bet, daughter. You bet, son. You're mine. When Jesus spoke to his father, he called him Dad. We know it. Mark 14, 36, Jesus is in the garden. He's praying. We see the translations here. It says, Abba, Father, Daddy, if there's any way that you can take this away from me, I don't really want to go to the cross. If there's any way that you can do it, take it from me. And in fact, the one time that Jesus doesn't address God as Father is where? On the cross. What what does Jesus say on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You think that's by accident? I don't. I don't. He might have negated everything that he said to his disciples. My father, father, how could you forsake me? Father doesn't run away from us. He doesn't 
leave us as orphans. He doesn't forsake us. So Jesus teaching his disciples to pray, he brings God near. In fact, the apostles would then take this idea, Paul would take this idea in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, and apply it to you and apply it to me. And saying, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you again the slave to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father, Dad. Now that's challenging, isn't it? It's challenging for us to see God as Father. What are some of the barriers? I think the challenge is our, is our earthly father, right? For some of you this morning, seeing God as Father, it's a challenge. Each one of us has grown up with a different father. Everyone in this room has a different understanding of the term father because each of us has a different earthly father in this room. For some of you, you grew up with a distant father, right? You grew up with a father that just wasn't there. He might have been there physically, but maybe he wasn't there mentally. He wasn't there engaging you. And so when we call God, to call God Father would be to say, maybe he's distant. Maybe he's not here. Maybe he won't show up. Some of you grew up with a father that was an authoritarian, right? Do this, do that, or, or else. And so to even imagine approaching God with, as a father is to say, well, I'm not sure God's going to like this. He might not forgive me if I mess up. He's going to come down on me hard. And so to even say our father is to bring up things and emotions that make it difficult to see God in, as a father in a good way. Or maybe you grew up with a permissive father. <laughs> a father that's just like, you know what, you can do whatever you want. Don't worry about it. We don't really have any rules in this household. Just go out and do whatever you want. And so you did. And you made a mess of things. You had no, no guardrails, nothing to guide you. It's like, i got to figure this out on my own. Your father was maybe more like a grandfather figure. You know, the beautiful thing about being a grandfather, right, is that you just get to love those kids and you just get to let them do whatever you, they want. You get to kind of feed them candy whenever you want. You can do all of those things and just be as permissive as you want because they're only going to be with you for a couple of hours. You only get a little bit of time. And then you can send them home and their parents, the parents are the ones that are supposed to do the, the guiding and the guarding and the, not really. I kind of believe that, but I, it's not really tr that's not true. I think that the candy Bart part bar, 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 is. What about, what about this? Maybe it's difficult for you to call father because it puts God in authority over you. We live in a culture that... <laughs> 
has authority issues, lack of respect issues, lack of honoring people who are in authority. I'm not going to call God Father. That puts him in a position of authority over me. There are challenges to this that you will bring to the Word of God. And maybe think about how do you address God? When you pray, how do you address Him? Think about it. I'd like to close this morning with this. What is it, with this, answering these questions, what does it mean that God's our Father? What does it mean that we can go to Him as a Father? This is where I want to paint a picture of you of God the Father. The first thing is this. We can go to Father, the Father and call him Father because you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. God is to be feared and honored God does have rules. God does discipline those he loves. But guess what? The discipline and rules of God are informed by his love for you. God, your father, is loving. He's a caring father. He's gracious. God, the father, is slow to anger. God, the father, abounds in love for his children. God the Father bounds in love for you. Man. Maybe that's not the kind of earthly father that you had. If that's you, you have a heavenly father who loves you. Gracious. Slow to anger. You don't need to be afraid to approach God. Number two, you have hope. The idea that God is a father brings hope. There's a song that says, um, the world, this world can be cold and bitter. feels like we're in the dead of winter. Remember that song? This world can be ugly. It can be hostile. It can feel like Everything is crashing down on you. But God, he's your father. And he's not just any father. God's the Lord of the universe. There's a sense where my dad really can beat up your dad. Right? Who's like the Lord Almighty? No one. Who's been his counselor? No one. Your father is matchless. The devil, the father of the devil, he's not even on the same playing field. You can go to God as a father and find hope because Your Father, God, really can take care of it. Your Father, God, really can take care of you. And we need that. You need that. 
You need that in this world. This world is ugly. Don't you ever just even, don't you ever just want to run home? Don't you ever just have a bad day? You're like, this was horrible. This happened to me. This happened to me. And you just want to run home to your family. And to experience someone who accepts you unconditionally. And that's the third idea is that if you have a father and if, if it's your father in heaven, you are never alone. It answers the question of loneliness. God is not an absent father. In, our, in your brokenness, maybe you feel this despair, maybe you feel this sense where you have a loss of self-worth, where you're filled with self-pity, you're filled with self-despair. You can wonder and you can ask the question, is there anyone who loves me? Is there anyone who sees me for who I really am? And God the Father says, I'm here. You are never alone. You were created by your heavenly Father and you are infinitely valuable to him. God looks at you. He sees your worth. He sees your potential. He will never abandon you, much like a good earthly father would never do. A good earthly father looks at his kids and he sees the potential. He says, man, I can see where you're headed. I can see what you're doing. Maybe you didn't have that. Guess what? If you're a part of God's family, if you're a child of God, you have that. You are never alone. Number four, you're part of a family. It doesn't say my father who art in heaven, does it? In fact, none of this prayer is singular in the sense. It's all corporate. It's all plural. Guess what? You're part of the family of God. You're part of something that's bigger than yourself. You see, I can do this. I can become extremely self-focused. I can become really selfish. And then I look at this prayer and Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. Man, there's no singular personal pronouns here in this entire prayer. It's all about us. It's all about the family of God. Prayer embraces the family of God. We can't be selfish. It means we pray for each other. We pray for God's will to be done in each other's lives. If your prayers are all about you and what you need, you're missing the point. Number five, what does it mean to, that we have God as a father? Guess what this, it means that you have the resources of heaven. It says, our Father in heaven. 
as children, who provides for your needs? Who provides for your needs? Your parents, right? Sometimes it's two parents, sometimes it's one parent. I'm going to just make it, and I realize we're in a different world. Primarily your father. Your father's the one that provides for your needs. You have a father in heaven that wants to meet your needs as a child. You see your parents' earthly resources, oh, they might be limited. This, this parent's resources are limited. I can tell you that right now, right? There is never enough anything. That's not true with your heavenly father. Your heavenly father has all of the resources of heaven at his disposal. In fact, Ephesians says this about you as children, that you've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your father has infinite resources for you? fifth or sixth, sixth, two more. You have safety and security as you obey him. This probably isn't a popular concept, but um, if God's our father, then we should obey him. We should follow him. We should listen to what he says and do it. I realize that's not popular um, in today's culture. We are living in a culture that struggles with authority figures. In fact, there is a general lack of respect for authority in today's world. Look at the young generation. It's true. As an earthly father, I have rules in my home that I expect (laughs) my children to obey. And I assume you do as well as parents. Jesus gives us that model. Jesus respected and obeyed his father. He said, not my will, but yours be done. When was the last time you said that to your parents, children? (laughs) Okay, dad, I really want to do this, but uh, not my will, but yours be done. Try that sometime. You might find a permissive father after. <laughs> Just kidding. Whoa, you can have anything you want now, child. Wow, that was really good. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. Jesus is teaching his disciples to do the same thing. He's saying, You have a father and he's to be obeyed. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the last thing is this is that you have infinite wisdom at your disposal. Think about this for a second. How often in your life do you just not know what to do? Ever happened to you? Are you or some people just know what to do all the time. Curtis, you don't know what to do all the time, do you? Yeah, I'm with you. I feel like I never know what to do. You know how often my prayers to God go? I, just, I get in the car, and I start my day, and I'm like, Father, I don't know what to do in this situation, Lord. Father, I need your wisdom. 
I need you to give me the answers to this situation because I don't know what to do. You have an all-wise, all-knowing Father. He doesn't just see the present. He sees the future. He sees the past. He sees all of it and all at the same time. Scripture tells us if any of you lacks wisdom to ask God. Folks, that's the kind of father that we have. <laughs> you aren't subjects of a king. You're sons and daughters of your heavenly father. And so as the worship team comes and as we close, I'd like for you to stand and, and I'd like for us to read this together. Maybe you know it by heart. We don't want to get that trespasses, sin, debts, you know, we're not sure what to say here, so it's up there. Let's say that together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.